Hello, welcome to Claret and Blue. My name's Dan Rowan, so I'm joined by a kit expert here, Rob Warner, who's been on the show many times before, and will introduce yourself and your credentials in a second, Rob. First of all, how are you? I'm all right, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, do, doing well. We're here today to talk about the kits again, yeah, and again. their uh, sweaty, wet look, which has been in the news lately. We're after insight and analysis here, Rob. I've, I've put down it in my notes, because me and Matt spoke about the kits in the Crystal Palace podcast, I think, and we had a clip go viral on, on TikTok, where we were kind of moaning about the shirts, and people saying, what are you moaning for? The, the, the club's doing well. And it's like, okay, there's two different talking points there. We can sit here and say, the kits look rubbish. They look poor quality. They look um, difficult to play in. Yep. We're after the insight and the expert opinion here. So that's why we've got you on the show. Who are you, though, for the people who aren't aware of your uh, background? Very quickly. Wow. So I am obviously a Brummie and a Villa supporter. Um, but yeah, I studied fashion design at university many moons ago. Um, and then went on to spend the best part of 15 years designing football kits for brands including Puma and Umbro. Back in my Puma days, it was working with uh, everything from the Cameroon uh, all-in-one kit and the sleeveless kit and assorted things that got banned uh, through to doing the Italy kit that won the World Cup in 2006. Uh, From there, went on to also work in, in other sports at Puma, including Formula One, and uh, I designed Usain Bolt's uh, running kit that he wore in Beijing as well in 2008. And then a little bit later on, I went to work at, at Umbro for five years where we were kitting out Everton, Manchester City, so the famous Aguero moment goal uh, where because his shirt was still suitably dry, he was able to take it off and swing it around his head. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and then, and then since then, I've gone on to work for some other brands still within performance sport, but... Uh, yeah, not not so football specific, but kept within football through the work we do at Spark Design Academy, where we teach people how to design football kits, and also with our YouTube channel, the Kit Breakdown. Yeah, so unlike some of the tweets you might get, you do know what you're talking about, Rob. You, you know some of the ones you've had over the last week saying, "Well, actually, if you look at this, and you know, people are like piling on to the other person going." I think Rob knows what he's talking about. Let's yeah, let's start always, with Rob here. It's always interesting to get shirts blamed, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I can already see the comments on the YouTube video that we're posting here, which will, will go out later today before uh, we kick off against Everton, saying, let's just stop moaning for the sake of it. Come on, lads. The, you know, Emery's doing really well. The football's good. We don't need to moan about something. Don't bother if you're about to leave that comment. 99% of our podcasts are about on-pitch matters and we'll be speaking about Everton either tonight or tomorrow. But the 1%, we do want to speak about off-pitch matters from time to time, whether it's yeah, ticket yeah. prices or hospitality, uh, kits. So uh, this is what this video will be for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. We're going to look at prices a little bit, but the main topic of conversation here is quality. We've seen the, the images of the kit since the first game in pre-season where they've looked soaked, haven't they? Yeah. And you kind of think, well, they're playing in the US in warm temperatures. Maybe that's a factor. Um, but it's happening in every game. And it, it was you know quite noticeable in the, in the Poland game on Thursday as well, which is, again, warmer climate uh, than, than here in the UK. But it's been a problem in, in the home games that we've seen Villa play at Villa Park as well. It's yeah. less noticeable with the away kits, but it, it does seem to be that the problem affects both. And it's just more noticeable in the home. Yeah, There's a story yesterday from Matt Law in The Telegraph, I think broke it first, who said, now I'm, I'm reading here, Aston Villa players complain to the club about wet look shirts and the club are trying to solve the issue with Castor. The club are understood to regard the problem as a performance issue and will expect a resolution to be found quickly. So... 
Rob, the reason we've got you on is to to have your kind of insight and analysis from a production background on what the shirts are made from. I, I don't expect you to have the, the full details, but yeah. some more insight than us just going, oh, they look rubbish. I got, yeah, we need a bit more than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know what the material is or could you take a, a stab at what you expect it to be? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the material itself is, and I'm, I'm looking on screen because I'm hoping to get some very specific information, which I have just had, actually. It's 90% polyester and 10% elastane, which effectively is lycra, would be the, you know, if right. you were buying branded elastane. So in, I've, I've not got the weight of the fabric, but that makes a big difference as well. So polyester is <clears throat> always incorporated into football shirts or usually Kappa use, use nylon a lot, which is slightly different. I won't give you a, a material science degree going through it, but with polyester, the, the function of that is it takes colour really well when you dye it, so it works well for, for teams from that perspective. It retains its colour really well, and when it's knitted in the correct way, then it, it wicks moisture, which basically means it's able to transport moisture from one side of the fabric to the other, and then when it gets to the outside, that enables the, the kind of body's natural heat to evaporate that, that moisture so that the fabric can dry quicker. Uh, the elastane part of it obviously adds a lot more stretch to the fabric. Uh, there are pros and cons to having a, a lot of stretch to the fabric of a shirt. The, the pro is that it can feel more comfortable. Uh, the con could be that it's easier to get your shirt pulled. Uh, and also elastane isn't moisture wicking. It's quite the opposite because it's effectively like a, not even a tube, just like a real cylinder of, uh, you know, of, of stretchy rubber, if you like, for want of a, a better phrase. So yeah, the, the composition of it's nothing nothing unexpected you know you would usually expect most pro football shirts to be some combination of of polyester and elastane but the weight will have a big impact and the texture will have a really big impact as well and i think that's probably what we're seeing at the moment yeah you mentioned the words moisture wicking there which is a, yeah. bit, a bit of a buzzword over the, the last week or so i mentioned that me and matt spoke about this last week and we had a couple of clips go out on social media one on tiktok did something like five hundred thousand views which is one of our biggest videos ever partly made by what a boring podcast this is haven't you got anything more interesting to talk about from neutral fans obviously and yeah. a load more comments going well this is what the show is designed to do it's moisture wicking it takes the sweat away from the players bodies and like you said evaporates it into the, the air and keeps the players cool is that true or is that a bit of a myth this is where the weight of the fabric plays a role so if you reduce the weight of a fabric and I you know I could geek out here. in fact I will I'll allow myself yeah, go for it yeah for a minute so a typical football shirt fabric would be for a pro around 170 grams per square meter Whereas for a fan, it's usually heavier. So it might be 200 to, to 220 grams a square meter. Um, the disadvantage of it being heavier is obviously it's a little bit heavier. And you may think a few grams here and there don't make any difference, but they, they genuinely do, especially if a heavier shirt tries to wick moisture and can't, then obviously the thicker it is, the more moisture it can absorb. Uh, so, it, so it can hold its weight. Uh, in in terms of having a, a lighter weight fabric, it become it saturates a lot quicker, which is what we're seeing with the Villa shirts, and it needs to be really high performance to be able to to move that moisture away. 
Um, so there's kind of pros and cons to to both. Typically, if you're working with a, a really lightweight fabric, then you'd want to make sure that it can perform and, and move the moisture and spread it out across the shirt quickly. Um, and that also that it doesn't stick to the body, which is the other problem that we're seeing. So yeah. if you think of, uh, I don't know, here's a good example for you. I'm sure Kendrick could enjoy this one because he likes an analogy. But if ever you've been in the shower with a shower curtain and the shower curtain mm. sticks to your body, that's yeah, yeah. because there's no there's no texture to it. It's just flat, so it just adheres to your body. Whereas if you've got something with a little bit of texture to it and you can feel something on the fabric, then there's less contact area between the wet skin and the fabric, and so it's less likely to cling to you. I can kind of see why people are saying it's what the shirt's supposed to do. It is. It just appears to be doing a really bad job of it because mm. it's clearly saturated and it's moving the moisture and not getting rid of it. So another good example would be kitchen roll. Now, kitchen mm. roll is very absorbent, but it's not moisture wicking. And they're, they're two, yeah. they're two different things. Yeah, very interesting. I'm glad that you were able to clear up that that myth a little bit. Now, I don't own this year's shirt, and frankly, I don't intend to because it looks poor quality, and as it stands, it's very expensive. Um, so I don't have the shirt here with me. I've not worn it to test it out. So I'm speaking here from uh, a lack of experience with the specific product. The argument of like, well, it takes the moisture away, so it cools you down. I, I get it, and I understand that it should work. Having not been for runs and stuff, and I, I don't go in just a shirt, I normally wear a hoodie or something, but you know when you exercise and you're sweaty and then you stop and the, the wind blows and you're freezing cold because you're wearing something wet. This like, idea of, oh, if the shirts are wet, it's going to cool you down. is great if you're playing in 30 degrees every week maybe, but you go out and wear any kind of shirt, soak it in the shower first before you go if you're not willing to work up a sweat and stand outside or run around outside in 8 degrees in December, you will freeze to death. Yeah. Like I don't get this idea of you are, oh, you'll cool down and feel lovely. It will be horrible. We're kind of talking about saturation versus moisture wicking. So the idea with a really good moisture wicking fabric, the surface next to the skin will stay as dry as possible for as long as possible. You know, in, it, with some activities in some environments, it's going to be impossible. The shirt's going to get wet. So, it, so it's a case really of, of how do you manage that. The body produces sweat to cool itself down with the intention that air moves across the sweat and it's almost like a, a hybrid air-liquid cooling system around the body. So there is value to being a bit sweaty if you're too hot. If you were constantly drying yourself off with a towel, then you would continue to sweat and sweat and sweat because your body yeah. feels like it needs to be wet. In terms of the shirts here, I mean, there's, there's quite a few different dials that you you want to turn when you're designing a shirt for a, a professional athlete so it's not just about wet dry light heavy you've also got to think about the psychology of the athlete um, yeah. and you've got to think about distractions for the athlete so for me the, the best feedback i say that you that you ever get from an athlete is no feedback at all because if the product's great They'll just get on and wear it. But if it's rubbish, they'll tell you exactly why. If if we think of the psychology of an athlete, it's kind of like if you turn up for a job interview wearing joggers and a T-shirt and everybody else is wearing a suit, straight away mentally you'd be at a disadvantage. So, you know, you want to be able to feel confident in, in what you're wearing. And obviously the players don't. Nobody would choose to wear something that's that 
you know, soaking wet and stuck to them in front of a massive global audience. And then the other thing is around distractions, because when you're such an elite athlete and the tiniest things make the difference, anybody that saw yep. uh, Tielemans with a GoPro on during the, the US tour and the speed of movement, the slightest little thing makes a difference and, and players feel it because they've got such sensory perception and such awareness of what's going on around them. So anything that's sticking to them, they'll be conscious of. It could inhibit movement. You know, there's, there's loads of different potential challenges there, and it won't necessarily be the same for, for every player. Some players will be more conscious of it and more aware of it than others in the same way yeah. that some of us can wear a football shirt next to our skin and others can't, would wear a T-shirt underneath because we don't like how the fabric feels. You know, so there's loads of different different things that could be a play here. You mentioned the weight of the shirts earlier and you're kind of estimating what a standard football shirt would be. And again, you don't have the product in front of you. You don't have the level of sweat that each athlete produces and the variables there. How yeah. much could a shirt increase in weight when it gets that wet and would that be a factor of performance? Yeah, I mean, that partly depends on the thickness of the fabric. The, the thicker and heavier it is to start with, or certainly the thicker it is, yeah. the, the more capacity it has to absorb. Uh, moisture like a sponge they don't weigh much but you know they, they absorb a yeah, lot yeah. of moisture yeah so part of the the challenge that we've got here is probably not so much the weight because say it's a, a super lightweight fabric at i don't know 130 grams or something then it hasn't got much capacity to get much heavier when it gets wet and then yeah, yeah. that becomes the problem then that is absolutely saturated and stick into the body so it would be less of a weight issue because the that's that's really the other extreme of if we then people have said we'll put them in the replica shirt i've seen on social media and the reality is if that's a 200 gram fabric that could potentially gain an extra 50 percent in weight through the the moisture okay. um you know we don't know what performance qualities that fabric's got so yeah it can really really vary i think in terms of where Castor are at now, part of it will depend on the choices they've made when they originally designed and developed the shirt, and then also trying to examine whether the choices they've made have been executed by the factory. So straight away, you've got the choice of fabric and the weight of it. Does it moisture wick itself? Or um, some fabrics aren't very good at it, so they get a moisture wicking treatment applied to them which is applied with with a roller. It's like a chemical treatment. It tends to only last about 30 washes, which doesn't affect uh, a pro athlete because they tend to yeah, only yeah. wear the shirts for 45 minutes. But if something's gone wrong with that, if, if that's the route they've taken, of it's super lightweight fabric and will apply a wicking finish to it. If that's been applied wrong, if it's been applied on the wrong side, if it's forgotten to be applied at all, then suddenly you, you've got big issues. And I would expect they're, if they feel like they've chosen the correct fabric to start with, I would think they're going to be running around the, the factory at the moment trying to figure out what's gone on. We'll talk a little bit in a sec about what, what, what Villa can do here or in the short term or the long term. We know that like, the lead time on football shirts is so far in advance that yep. next year's shirt is probably already in the works, if not finished in terms of like designs and stuff like that. Maybe yeah. slightly early for that is September. Um, but I've been in meetings before at Villa, the fan consultation, whatever, where they're talking about these long-term decisions with, with things like this. Yeah. Is is this not a thing that would have cropped up in like quality control or whatever, like earlier on in, in the phase of, of development for the shirt, of this season's shirt? Would this not have cropped up that, oh, it isn't very good at 
evaporating moisture or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, I mean, it partly depends on how rigorous the the testing protocols are. <clears throat> Excuse me. Partly the um, partly the the time that's available to get things tested. So there's there's lab tests and there's on athlete tests. So a lab test might show you that it moves the moisture quite well. An athlete test will show you whether it sticks to the body or not. Mm. Um, and then also the the another challenge that a brand could potentially face is that they've chosen the right fabric and the mill have sent them a certain amount of yardage, yardage for testing. So it could be in whatever colour they've got available. It could have been bright pink, could have been black, whatever, and it's it's passed the tests. But when they've come to order the, the bulk production, so that's knitted from scratch, mm. uh, that, that something's gone wrong there, that, that you couldn't have caught it in testing because it just didn't, it wasn't an issue in testing. But, I mean, that that's quite a rare thing, and if it, if that was the case, then I, I would expect that yeah, the, the factory would be in a lot of trouble with the brand because of the, the damage that it's doing. I think one thing that's interesting is certainly if I look at last season's pro shirt and this season's online, the last season's one seems to have been made in Turkey and this season's one has been made in China. So they've obviously changed factories since last season. Okay. Um, you know, quite, quite why they would have done that open to interpretation unless they make a statement on it let's talk then and, and finish on the quality side of things by about what villa can actually do here short term can villa get new shirts made for the you know 18 or so players involved on a match day from this weekend and, and playing something you know the same design but a different material and long term do villa have grounds to cut a deal with castor short on, on something like this and say look the quality of this shirt wasn't up to standard we don't want to be part of a, a multi-year agreement. We want to end this now. I think if I was within Castor now, then, well, right from the, the first it day... It wouldn't have happened, would it, if you were there? Well, well, apart from that, but if they called me in now to help, the uh, the first thing I would be doing would be exactly that, looking at, well, what can we do to immediately remedy it? Um, mm. Because, it, you know, mistakes can happen. So... Similarly, with uh, Arsenal's pro shirt this season that was celebrating the Invincibles, uh, Adidas had done a, a tape down the side of the shirt that had got, yeah. not the results, but the win-lose draw, and there was three matches missing. So they had to withdraw all, all of those shirts and create something quickly for the players. So it can be done. A challenge that Villa and, and the brand might face would be that Villa's colour is unique. So it's relatively mm. easy to get hold of red fabric, claret fabric, yeah. less so. The turnaround times are usually, you know, so I would expect next season's kit to have been, the initial designs to have been done in probably March of this year. Okay, so, well. You know, it's a it's a long way out, but a lot of that is because of the number of presentations you have to go through to get it approved and the fittings and ordering the fabric and getting the fabric yeah. knitted and then, getting 300,000 replicas made and whatever else, waiting to find out what the sponsor and the badge is going to be every summer. You know, so it, that all adds time. In terms of actually executing something quickly, you know, if they were to to find a European factory that could get it done quickly out of China, if it was just change the fabric, you know, maybe six to eight weeks. So it could be something that we would see coming okay. forward. I think... From a Villa perspective, without knowing what's in the contract, I don't know if that would be a deal breaker, but if it was a contract I was looking to get out of, this would certainly give pretty strong grounds as to 
why you could get out of it rather than yeah. needing to rely on we just fancy a bigger brand or somebody else has offered us more money. This, yeah. you know, this this could in theory put the the relationship in serious jeopardy. Um, I think the other thing from a club perspective is um, I've seen a few people talk about well, how did the club let this get through? How did they let it slide? And you know, it's not on the club at all. This, you know, all they can do is if they've got any insight into what the players want then they may relay that. That's usually related to preferences around neckline or goalkeepers like Emmy always has particular colours that he wants to wear. You know, in terms of getting into the the granular details of um, how how rapidly a fabric can wick moisture, I'd be very surprised if Christian Perslow or anybody else that was around the meetings at the time would have had a strong point of view on any of that. Uh, yeah, they want to know that it works, not how it works. The players aren't happy. Yeah. And that is the fundamental factor of, of why we're all here, isn't it? We want the players to do well. And if they don't believe they can perform well because they're in, uncomfortable in the... I'm going to get stick for this probably. The uniform that they go to work to wear in. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's, know, it, it's a tool for them to do the job they do, yeah. isn't it? And if it's not up to standard and Villa suffer on the pitch because of it, that's a massive thing to be concerned about. Yeah, totally. I mean, you've got playing performance being one thing and then... The global audience that that are watching the oh, yeah, watching yeah. Villa week in week out. Chris Heck's job is to is to glow the grow the commercial revenue of the business. And if we show up on field looking looking terrible every week, then you know that's a that's a big issue itself hmm. as well. And then the players are thinking about you know they won't be during the match, but they'll be thinking about their images. What are they putting on Instagram and? whatever else you know another real problem we've potentially got coming down the pipes is you know the, the women's season kicks off soon are they going to be wearing this are they you know are they yeah. going to be soaking wet through every week because you know that's going to be a, a way bigger issue than it is on the guys yeah and something i'm not even considered we are running out of time slightly rob and i wanted to get your thoughts on prices as well just quickly i don't know that's not the main topic of conversation today but as I've got you, yeah, we'll touch on that as well a little bit. First of all, just on the pricing generally, uh, of Villa stuff specifically, training wear, match shirts, pro shirts, whatever it is, do you consider it a problem with the prices or, or do you think they're kind of fair? Um, as, a, as a parent, I struggle to justify spending that amount of money on on stuff for, for my kids. I think as, as somebody within the industry, I can look at it and say, well, you know, the club or the, the brand more, more likely can kind of justify the expenditure because it's not just a, a simple case of well how much does it cost to make you've got to think of what goes into designing and making it in the first place so you know without disappearing down a rabbit hole of counterfeiters etc that pretty much is just what does it cost to make and also they're able to cut corners that brands can't so yeah. anybody that still thinks that the brands that are kicking out Premier League football clubs are regularly using sweatshops and slave labour, whatever, couldn't be more wrong, you know, because that would very quickly be all over the news, you know. Yeah. So it's not. The, the cost of making a shirt these days, I would estimate maybe between $10 and $15 on average would be the, the actual cost for the brand to get it from out of the factory door. And it's then a case of the brand has got to ship it across uh, to wherever their warehouses are. They've got to mm. take care of the packing of it. They've got to distribute it. They've got to take their percentage. They've got to pay a percentage to the club. The retailer's got to take a percentage. 
And that's without thinking about the salaries and everything else of the people at the brands that have designed and developed it. If it's an amazing kit that's had a lot of design and development go into it, it becomes easier to justify. If it's a kit that's not performing on the field of play, it becomes a lot harder to justify. But yeah, there's a there are a lot of there are a lot of people with fingers in the pie that that need to make a profit out of a kit deal. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's where the price comes from. In terms of it just as purely as a garment, it's it's hard to justify. I think it would be a bit easier if they weren't so frequent. Three new shirts, yeah. goalkeepers, you know, with goalkeepers becoming celebrities themselves now with Emmy Martinez or Mary Earps for England. You know, you're potentially looking at, at buying your kids three, four kits a season and nobody has to. It's completely a choice. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the difference is you know my kids support aston villa they don't support an iphone so i could you know i could say no you can't have the new iphone and they just get on with it but in terms of aston villa it's a different conversation so mm. yeah it's it's a really difficult thing because the the counter argument from the clubs would be we've got to make some profits if you want to see the likes of musa diaby and Pau torres wearing that shirt well somebody's got to pay for it and Mm. shirts is a pretty good way of doing it you mentioned the frequency of kits and i'll get to that in a second which is a bit of a, a benchmark for balance i've looked at some of the replica kit prices across the premier league uh villa pretty much bang in the middle at, at 70 pounds it's three castor kits in the league with wolves and newcastle wolves is 60 newcastle's is also 70 uh, the cheapest kits in the league are the three promoted clubs burnley sheffield united and luton at 55 55 and 59 pounds and the most expensive spurs Man United, Fulham and Arsenal at eighty pounds. Um yep. so yeah, pretty much middle of the road for, for where Villa come in terms of um a benchmark with the other clubs for replica kits. Yeah. I put a little asterisk next to Brentford's kit, which is sixty pounds, and there's is labelled the twenty twenty three to twenty twenty five shirt on their yep. website. And there's a comment from uh, chief executive of Brentford, John Varney. This will be the fourth kit we have rolled over in recent years. The two-year cycle not only ensures affordability for our fans, but also aligns with our commitment to reducing waste and promoting a greener future for the next generation of Bees fans. Now, I've spoke before about like there being a, a, an obsession in modern football with transfers. And I feel like there's a bit of a, a similar thing with with kits, really. That yeah. Do we have to have, especially for teams that aren't in Europe, and obviously Villa are now for the first time in however many years. When we were in the Championship, we had three kits. Is that yeah. necessary for all clubs to have three kits every single season or can we all take a, a leaf from someone like Brentford and go, right, next year's shirt will last for two seasons and then next year's away shirt will last for two seasons and have a cycle like that instead? I think it's very hard to justify four kits, certainly, which we see with some of the Champions League teams have four yeah, kits. Of course, yeah. That's been going on for quite a while. When I first designed for Lazio in like 2002, they were having four kits. I think three, I can kind of understand because of the requirements of the the federations or the leagues now to have clearly distinguishable distinguishable kits mm. and especially now that other things are taken into consideration like color blindness and you know things like that that in the past just wasn't wasn't really thought about i mean that said we do still see on tv that some games it's really hard to to kind of tell between the the two teams there's there's no excuse for that really in terms of of rolling them over in the life cycles there's kind of two prongs to that the first is that when three kits first started becoming a thing in the premier league and i'll use man united with nike as an example they would have the home kit for two years 
and the away kit for two years, but the away kit would roll over to become the third kit. So year one, you might have yeah. a new home and away. Year two, you might have the same home. The away becomes a third and you've got a new away kit. So you, you've got yeah. one new thing you can buy if you want to. And then it kind of mixes like that. So every other year you'd get two new shirts. Every year you'd get one, which is mm-hmm. an away shirt. So that works quite nicely from a fan's perspective. From a club perspective, and again, purely bringing it down to numbers, which so much of football sadly seems to be about these days, how much money do Brentford lose if they don't release a new home shirt every year? You know, How many do yeah. they sell? 50,000 maybe, you know, maybe 80 at the most. Manchester United, they sold a million just with Ibrahimovic on the back. You know, they're, they're selling, depending on if they have a good season or not, you, Real Madrid, Man United, yeah. Arsenal, could be three to five million shirts a year. And you think of all the people, whether it's the club, the brand, the retailer, you know, the amount of money that's then been made off that. You know, if, if Nike or Adidas are paying £100 million for a kit deal, they can't just yeah. buy that off as a marketing expense. They've got to get some of that back. So it is, it's a really difficult thing to unravel, but I do, I feel sorry for everybody involved, you know, because the the brands have paid up front, the clubs want the money for players because they're under pressure from the fans and the fans are under pressure from life to be able to afford the things that they want. You know, just getting through the gates is hard enough for some people now. So it is difficult. And honestly, I don't know what the answer is. I I wish I did, but it, it might mean that, you know, the bigger clubs have got to, look at taking a hit and, and doing the right thing instead of just constantly asking fans to put their hands in their pockets. Rob, it's been a pleasure to chat to you for the last half an hour, so I'm going to have to cut you short, though, because I've got parental responsibilities I need to get to in literally 30 seconds. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me. I could honestly pick your brains all day, and I'm sure if fans enjoyed this and have maybe further questions, uh, we could get you back on when I've got a bit more time in my hands. Yeah, uh, Rob, thanks for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for watching along with this one. Get involved with your experiences with the kits and the prices in the comments down below. Uh, enjoy Everton if you're, if you're after that this evening, and we'll be back later in the week to chat about football as per... Uh, Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon.